This is The Silver Chair from the Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis, read by Janet Rhodes, Chapter 5, Puddle Glum. Jill was asleep. Ever since the Owl's Parliament had begun, she had been yawning terribly, and now she had dropped off. She was not at all pleased at being waked again, and finding herself lying on bare boards in a dusty belfry sort of place, completely dark and almost completely full of owls. She was even less pleased when she heard that they had to set off for somewhere else, and not apparently for bed, on the owl's back. Oh, come on, Paul, buck up, said Scrub's voice. After all, it is an adventure. I'm sick of adventures, said Jill crossly. She did, however, consent to climb onto Glimfeather's back and was thoroughly waked up for a while by the unexpected coldness of the air when he flew out with her into the night. The moon had disappeared and there were no stars. Far behind her she could see a single lighted window well above the ground, doubtless in one of the towers of Caerparavel. It made her long to be back in that delightful bedroom, snug in bed, watching the firelight on the walls. She put her hands under her cloak and wrapped it tightly round her. It was uncanny to hear two voices in the dark a little distance away. Scrub and his owl were talking to one another. He doesn't sound tired, thought Jill. She did not realise that he had been on great adventures in that world before and that the Narnian air was bringing back to him a strength that he had won when he sailed the eastern seas with King Caspian. Jill had to pinch herself to keep awake, for she knew that if she dozed on Glimfeather's back she would probably fall off. When at last the two owls ended their flight, she climbed stiffly off Glimfeather and found herself on flat ground. A chilly wind was blowing, and they appeared to be in a place without trees. Toohoo too Glimfeather was calling. Wake up, Puddle Glum, wake up! It's on the lion's business. For a long time there was no reply. Then, a long way off, a dim light appeared and began to come nearer. With it came a voice. Owls ahoy, it said. What is it? Is the king dead? Has an enemy landed in Narnia? Is it a flood or dragons? When the light reached them, it turned out to be that of a large lantern. Jill could see very little of the person who held it. He seemed to be all legs and arms. The owls were talking to him, explaining everything, but she was too tired to listen. She tried to wake herself up a bit when she realised that they were saying goodbye to her, but she could never afterwards remember much except that sooner or later she and Scrub were stooping to enter a low doorway and then, oh, thank heavens, were lying down on something soft and warm. And a voice was saying, There you are, best we can do. You'll lie cold and hard. Damp too, I shouldn't wonder. Won't sleep a wink, most likely, even if there isn't a thunderstorm or a flood or the wigwam doesn't fall down on top of us all as I've known them do. Must make the best of it, but she was fast asleep before the voice had ended. When the children woke late the next morning, they found that they were lying very dry and warm on beds of straw in a dark place. A triangular opening let in the daylight. Where on earth are we? asked Jill. In the wigwam of a marsh wiggle, said Eustace. A what? A marsh wiggle. Don't ask me what it is. I couldn't see it last night. I'm getting up. Let's go and look for it. How beastly one feels after sleeping in one's clothes, said Jill, sitting up. I was just thinking how nice it was not to have to dress, said Eustace. 
Or wash either, I suppose, said Jill scornfully. But Scrap had already got up, yawned, yawned, shaken himself and crawled out of the wigwam. wigwam. Jill did the same. What they found outside was quite unlike the bit of Narnia they had seen on the day before. They were on a great flat plain which was cut into countless little islands by countless channels of water. The islands were covered with coarse grass and bordered with reeds and rushes. Sometimes there were beds of rushes about an acre in extent. Clouds of birds were constantly alighting in them and rising up from them again. Duck, snipe, bitterns and herons. Many wigwams like that in which they had passed the night could be seen dotted about, but all at a good distance from one another, for Marsh Wiggles are people who like privacy. <coughs> Except for the fringe of the forest several miles to the south and west of them, there was not a tree in sight. Eastward, the flat marsh stretched to low sand hills on the horizon, and you could tell by the salt tang in the wind which blew from that direction that the sea lay over there. To the north, there were low, pale-coloured hills in places bastioned with rock. The rest was all flat marsh. It would have been a depressing place on a wet evening. Seen under a morning sun, with a fresh wind blowing and the air filled with the crying of birds, there was something fine and fresh and clean about its loneliness. The children felt their spirits rise. Where is the thing we got to, I wonder, said Jill. The marsh wiggle, said Scrub, as if he was rather proud of knowing the word. I expect, oh, hello, that must be him. And then they both saw him sitting with his back to them, fishing about fifty yards away. He had been hard to see at first because he was nearly the same colour as the marsh and because he sat so still. I suppose we'd better go and speak to him, said Jill. Scrub nodded. They both felt a little nervous. As they drew nearer, the figure turned its head and showed them a long, thin face with rather sunken cheeks, a tightly shut mouth, a sharp nose and no beard. He was wearing a high, pointed hat like a steeple and an enormously wide, flat brim. The hair, if it could be called hair, which hung over his large ears was greeny-grey and each lock was flat rather than round so that they were hung like tiny reeds. His expression was solemn, his complexion muddy, and you could see at once that he took a serious view of life. "'Good morning, guests,' he said. "'Though when I say good, I don't mean it won't probably turn to rain or it might be snow or fog or thunder. You didn't get any sleep, I dare say.' "'Yes, we did, though,' said Jill. "'We had a lovely night.' "'Ah,' uh, said the marsh wiggle, shaking his head. "'I see you're making the best of a bad job. "'That's right, you've been well brought up, you have. "'You've learned to put a good face on things.' "'Please, we don't know your name,' said Scrub. "'Puddle Glum's my name. "'But it doesn't matter if you forget it. "'I can always tell you again.' "'The children sat down on each side of him.' They now saw that he had very long legs and arms, so that although his body was not much bigger than a dwarf's, he would be taller than most men when he stood up. The fingers of his hands were webbed like a frog's, and so were his bare feet, which dangled in the muddy water. He was dressed in earth-coloured clothes that hung loose about him. "'I'm trying to catch a few eels to make a nice eel stew for our dinner,' said Puddleglum. "'Though I shouldn't wonder if I didn't get any, and you won't like them much if I do.' "'Why not?' asked Scrub. Well, it's not in reason that you should like our sort of victuals, though. I've no doubt that you'll put a bold face on it. All the same, while I'm a, a catching of them, if you too could try to light the fire, no harm in trying. The wood's behind the wigwam. It may be wet. You could light it inside the wigwam, and then we'd all get the smoke in our eyes. 
or you could light it outside and then the rain would come and put it out. Here's my tinder box. You won't know how to use it, I expect. But Scrub had learnt that sort of thing on his last adventure. The children ran back together to the wigwam, found the wood, which was perfectly dry, and succeeded in lighting a fire with rather less than the usual difficulty. Then Scrub sat and took care of it, while Jill went and had some sort of a wash, not a very nice one, in the nearest channel. After that, she saw to the fire and he had a wash. Both felt a good deal fresher, but very hungry. Presently, the marsh wiggle joined them. In spite of his expectation of catching no eels, he had a dozen or so, which he had already skinned and cleaned. He put a big pot on, mended the fire and lit his pipe. Marsh wiggles smoke a very strange, heavy sort of tobacco. Some people say they mix it with mud. And the children noticed the smoke from Puddle Glum's pipe hardly rose in the air at all. It trickled out of the bowl and downwards and drifted along the ground like a mist. It was very black and set scrub coughing. Now said Puddleglum. Those eels will take a mortal long time to cook and either of you might faint with hunger before they're done. I know a little girl, but I'd better not tell you that story. It might lower your spirits and that's a thing I never do. So, to keep your minds off your hunger, we may as well talk about our plans. Yes, do let's, said Jill. Can you help us find Prince Rillian? The marsh wiggle sucked in his cheeks till they were hollower than you would have thought possible. Well, I don't know that you'd call it help, he said. I don't know that anyone can exactly help. It stands to reason that we're not likely to get very far on a journey to the north, not at this time of the year, with a winter coming on and all, and an early winter too, by the look of things. But you mustn't let that make you downhearted. Very likely, what with enemies and mountains and rivers to cross and losing our way and next to nothing to eat and sore feet, we'll hardly notice the weather. And if we don't get far enough to do any good... We may get far enough not to get back in a hurry. Both children noticed that he said we, not you, and both exclaimed at the same moment, Are you coming with us? Oh, yes, I'm coming, of course. Might as well, you see. I don't suppose we shall ever see the king back in Narnia now, now that he's once set off for the foreign parts, and he had a nasty cough when he left. And there's Trumpkin. He's failing fast, and you'll find that there's been a bad harvest and a terrible dry summer, and I shouldn't wonder if some enemy attacks us. Mark my words. And how shall we start? said Scrub. Well, said the marsh wiggle very slowly, all the others, whoever went looking for Prince Rillian, started off from that same fountain where the Lord Drinian saw the lady. They went north, mostly, and as none of them ever came back, we can't exactly say how they got on. We've got to start by finding a ruined city of giants, said Jill. Aslan said so. Got to start by finding it, have we? answered Puddleglum. Not allowed to start by looking for it, I suppose. That's what I meant, of course, said Jill. And then, when we found it, yes... When, said Puddleglum, dryly. Doesn't anyone know where it is, asked Scrub. I don't know about anyone, said Puddleglum, and I won't say I haven't heard of that ruined city. You wouldn't start from the fountain, though. You'd have to go across Edensmore, and that's where the ruined city is, if it's anywhere. But I've been so far, as far in that direction as most people, and I've never got to any ruins, so I won't deceive you. Where's Edensmore, said Scrub. Look over those hills there northward, said Puddleglum, pointing with his pipe. See those hills and bits of cliff? That's the beginning of Vettensmore. But there's a river between it and us, the River Shribble. No bridges, of course. I suppose we can ford it, though, said Scrub. Well, it has been forded, admitted the Marshwiggle. Perhaps we shall meet people on Vettensmore who can tell us the way, said Jill. You're right about meeting people, said Puddleglum.
What sort of people live there, she asked. It's not for me to say they aren't all right in their own way, answered Puddleglum, if you like their way. Yes, but what are they, pressed Jill. There are so many strange creatures in this country. I mean, are they animals or birds or dwarfs or what? The marsh wiggle gave a long whistle. <sighs> he said, don't you know? I thought the owls had told you. They're giants. Jill winced. She'd never liked giants, even in books, and she had once met one in a nightmare. Then she saw Scrub's face, which had turned rather green, and thought to herself, I bet he's in a worse funk than I am, and that made her braver. The king told me long ago, said Scrub, that time when I was with him at sea, that he'd jolly well beaten those giants in war and made them pay tri him tribute. That is true enough, said Puddleglum. They're at peace with us all right. As long as we stay on our own side of the shrivel, they won't do us any harm. Over on their side, on the moor, still there's always a chance. If we don't get near any of them, and if none of them forget themselves, and if we're not seen, it's just possible we might get a long way. Look here, said Scrub, suddenly losing his temper, as people so easily do when they've been frightened. I don't believe the whole thing can be half as bad as you're making out, any more than the beds in the wigwam were hard or that the wood was wet. I don't think that Aslan would ever even have sent us if there were so little chance as all that. He quite expected the marsh wiggle to give him an angry reply, but he only said, That's the spirit, Scrub. That's the way to talk. Put a good face on it. But we all need to be very careful about our tempers, seeing all the hard times we shall have to go through together. Won't do to quarrel, you know. At any rate, don't begin it too soon. I know these expeditions usually end that way, knifing one another, I shouldn't wonder, before all's done. But the longer we can keep off it... Well, if you you feel it's so hopeless, interrupted Scrub, I think you'd better stay behind. Pole and I can go on alone, can't we, Pole? Shut up and don't be an ass, Scrub, said Jill hastily, ter terrified lest the marsh wiggle should take him at his word. Don't you lose heart, Pole, said Puddleglum. I'm coming, sure and certain. I'm not going to lose an opportunity like this. It will do me good. They all say, I mean all the other wiggles say, that I'm too flighty. I don't take life seriously enough. If they've said it once, they'll say it a thousand times. Puddle glum, they've said. You're altogether too full of bobance and bounce and high spirits. You've got to learn that life isn't all fricasseed frogs and egg pie. You want something sober to sober you down a bit. We're only saying it for your own good, Puddle glum. That's what they say. Now, a job like this, a journey up north, just as winter's beginning, looking for a prince who probably isn't there by way of a ruined city that no one has ever seen, will be just the thing. If that doesn't steady a chap, I don't know what will. And he rubbed his big frog-like hands together as if he were talking of going to a party or a pantomime. And now, he added, let's see how those eels are getting on. When the meal came, it was delicious, and the children had two large helpings each. At first, the marsh wiggle wouldn't believe that they really liked it, and when they had eaten so much that he had to believe them, he fell back on saying that it would probably disagree with them horribly. What's food for wiggles may be poison for humans, I shouldn't wonder, he said. After the meal, they had tea in tins, as you've seen men having it who are working on the road. And Puddleglum, who had a good many sips out of a had had a good many sips out of a square black bottle, he offered it to the he offered the children some of it, but they thought it very nasty. The rest of the day was spent in preparations for an early start the next morning. 
Puddle Glum, being far the biggest, said he would carry three blankets with large, a large bit of bacon rolled up inside them. Jill was to carry the remains of the eels, some biscuit and the tinderbox. Scrub was to carry both his own cloak and Jill's when they didn't want to wear them. Scrub, who had learned some shooting when he sailed to the east under Caspian, had Puddle Glum's second best bow and Puddle Glum had his best one, though he said that what with winds and damp bowstrings and bad light and cold fingers, it was a hundred to one against either of them hitting anything. He and Scrub both had swords. Scrub had brought the one which had been left out for him in his room at Caparaval, but Jill had to be content with her knife. There would have been a quarrel about this, but as soon as they started sparring, the Wiggle rubbed his hands and said, Oh, there you are, I thought as much... That's what usually happens on adventures. This made them both shut up. All three went to bed early in the wigwam. This time, the children really had rather a bad night. That was because Puddleglum, after saying, You'd better try for some sleep, you two, not that I suppose any of us will close an eye tonight, instantly went off into such a loud, continuous snore that when Jill at last got to sleep, she dreamed all night about road drills and waterfalls and being in express trains and tunnels.